I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I have developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading Zephaniah chapters 1 through 3. First, an introduction to Zephaniah. Chapter 1, verse 1, tells us that Zephaniah prophesied to Judah during the reign of King Josiah. Judah's first Babylonian exiles were taken in 605 B.C., and the city of Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians in 586 B.C., and that's seen in 2 Kings chapters 24 and 25. With only three chapters, this prophet was determined to convey the message of God's approaching wrath. The word day, which is the Hebrew yom, it's used 20 times in these three chapters, and it's referring to an approaching day of judgment. We begin reading about this judgment in chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord, which came unto Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. I will utterly consume all things from off the land, saith the Lord. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the fowls of the heaven and the fishes of the sea and the stumbling blocks with the wicked. And I will cut off man from off the land, saith the Lord. I will also stretch out mine hand upon Judah and upon all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will cut off the remnant of Baal from this place and the name of the Kimarims with the priest and them that worship the host of heaven upon the housetops and them that worship and that swear by the Lord, and that swear by Malcolm, and them that are turned back from the Lord, and those that have not sought the Lord, nor inquired for him. Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand, for the Lord hath prepared a sacrifice, he hath bid his guest. And it shall come to pass in the day of the Lord's sacrifice, that I will punish the princes and the king's children, and all such as are clothed with strange apparel." In the same day also will I punish all those that leap on the threshold, which fill their master's house with violence and deceit. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord, that there shall be the noise of a cry from the fish gate, and an howling from the second, and a great crashing from the hills. Howl, ye inhabitants of Maktesh, for all the merchant people are cut down, all they that bear silver are cut off. And it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with candles and punish the men that are settled on their lease that say in their heart, The Lord will not do good, neither will he do evil. Therefore their goods shall become a booty, and their houses a desolation. They shall also build houses, but not inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards, but not drink the wine thereof. The great day of the Lord is near, it is near, and hasteth greatly, even the voice of the day of the Lord. The mighty man shall cry there bitterly. The day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the trumpet and alarm against the fenced cities and against the high towers. And I will bring distress upon men, that they shall walk like blind men, because they have sinned against the Lord, and their blood shall be poured out as dust, and their flesh as the dung. 
Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. For he shall make even a speedy riddance of all them that dwell in the land. Now there's no question about the theme of Zephaniah. Because of Judah's wickedness, they're going to be destroyed. The question arises from the usage of the word land by Zephaniah, as in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, and again in verse 18. Now, does that mean this judgment of Zephaniah's is worldwide? Two Hebrew words are used for land in this passage, Adamah and Eretz. They're used interchangeably by Zephaniah, and both are translated in the Old Testament as either earth or land, based upon context. So here's the question. Is this passage talking about a judgment on the earth at the end of the tribulation? Or is it talking about a judgment on the land by the Babylonians from 605 B.C. to the middle of the 6th century? When you look at those verses, verses 2 and 3, it seems global, accompanied by complete destruction. However, the references to activities of the remnant and survivors in this book have led many, including myself, to conclude that Zephaniah is probably describing the utter devastation that the Babylonian troops will cause when they ransack the land of Judah and Jerusalem, as well as the surrounding nations on their destructive trek through the land. Now, Jerusalem fell in 586 B.C., and the other surrounding nations fell at various times before and after that year. Since we've concluded that Zephaniah's prophecy of utter destruction refers directly to the Babylonian attack upon Jerusalem, then the great day of the Lord of verse 14 looks not at the battle of Armageddon at the end of the tribulation as some have maintained, but rather to the Babylonian event in 586 B.C., which, by the way, is recorded in 2 Kings chapters 24 and 25. The term in that day, the Hebrew word yom, is frequently used in the context of judgment by the Old Testament prophets. It's used to describe a period of time when the judgment takes place, not literally a 24-hour period of time. As a matter of fact, the judgment referred to with the term day in chapters 1 and 2 points in each instance to this Babylonian destruction of the regional nations in the 6th and 7th centuries B.C., Prior to the Babylonian onslaught, the Egyptians tromped into Jerusalem. In actuality, the fall of Jerusalem lasted over 20 years at the hands of the Egyptians and then the Babylonians, beginning after the death of King Josiah in 609 B.C. It does injustice to the consistency of the text to interpret some of these day references to the Babylonian destruction and then to interpret some of the others as being the yet future battle of Armageddon found in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 21. It seems that Zephaniah is certainly applying that day to the impending overthrow of the land by the Babylonians. As a side note to these verses, notice verse 5 as Zephaniah is itemizing pagan worship in Judah. It says, And them that worship the host of heaven upon the housetops. It would appear that this prophet is condemning the practice of astrology by the Jews. It's a fact that using the stars as predictors goes back to the Babylonians, and that's found in Hammurabi's tables, predating Moses by at least 200 years. Other ancient notations on stone tablets clearly establish a belief that the stars were valid indicators of future events. 
more extensive collections of astronomical observations and attendant predictions have been found on cuneiform tablets from ancient Babylon. These particular tablets date to sometime between 1350 and 1100 B.C., and they seem to have been created for the purpose of summarizing contemporary astrological ideas. Therefore, without question, astrology had existed well over a thousand years prior to Zephaniah's prophecy here. And, by the way, Zephaniah lists astrology as a form of pagan worship. Verse 5 is interesting in another aspect as well, the mixing of worship of the one true God with paganism. Notice the last part of that verse, verse 5. It says, Them that worship and that swear by the Lord and that swear by Malcolm. In that verse, Malcolm is the same name as Moloch. You recall that Moloch is the god to which the pagans and sometimes the Israelites worshipped by sacrificing their children on his altar. Leviticus 20 deals harshly with the issue of Moloch worship, where there it's stated in verse 2, And again thou shalt say to the children of Israel, Whosoever he be of the children of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn in Israel, that giveth any of his seed unto Moloch, he shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. Well, here's a news flash. Here they are being indicted for the sinful practice of mixing the two the worship of God, and the worship of Moloch, even though they were so mutually exclusive to one another. And then we have a prophecy regarding the enemies of Judah as well in Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 1. Gather yourselves together, yea, gather together, O nation not desired. Before the decree bring forth, before the day pass as the chafe, before the fierce anger of the Lord come upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger come upon you, seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment. Seek righteousness, seek meekness. It may be ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. For Gaza shall be forsaken, and Ashkelon a desolation. They shall drive out Ashdod at the noonday, and Ekron shall be rooted up. Woe unto the inhabitants of the sea coast, the nation of the Carathites. The word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, the land of the Philistines. I will even destroy thee, that there shall be no inhabitant. And the sea coast shall be dwellings and cottages for shepherds and folds for flocks. And the coast shall be for the remnant of the house of Judah. They shall feed thereupon in the houses of Ashkelon. So they lie down in the evening, for the Lord their God shall visit them and turn away their captivity. I have heard the reproach of Moab and the revilings of the children of Ammon, whereby they have reproached my people and magnified themselves against their border. Therefore, as I live, saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, surely Moab shall be as Sodom and the children of Ammon as Gomorrah, even the breeding of nettles and salt pits, and a perpetual desolation, the residue of my people shall spoil them, and the remnant of my people shall possess them. This shall they have for their pride, because they have reproached and magnified themselves against the people of the Lord of hosts. The Lord will be terrible unto them, for he will famish all the gods of the earth, and men shall worship him, every one from his place, even all the isles of the heathen. Ye Ethiopians also, ye shall be slain by my sword. And he will stretch out his hand against the north, and destroy Assyria, 
and will make Nineveh a desolation, and dry like a wilderness. And flocks shall lie down in the midst of her. All the beasts of the nations, both the cormorant and the bittern, shall lodge in the upper lintels of it. Their voice shall sing in the windows. Desolation shall be in the thresholds, for he shall uncover the cedar work. This is the rejoicing city that dwelt carelessly, that said in her heart, I am, and there is none beside me. How has she become a desolation, a place for beasts to lie down in? Every one that passeth by her shall hiss and wag his hand. Notice the mention of Judah's neighbors as victims of this devastation. Most noteworthy here is Assyria's mention along with its capital, Nineveh, way east, several hundred miles in modern-day Iraq. We see them in verse 13. Nineveh fell to the Babylonians in 612 B.C. The Babylonians approached around the mountain range through the Fertile Crescent when they attacked and always appeared from the north in doing so. Of course, all of these nations were overcome by the Babylonians. You'll notice in verses 4 and 5 that a clear geographical pattern of defeat is shown here. The initial defeat, though short-lived, of Jerusalem was at the hand of the Egyptian king who naturally approached from the south along the coast. Look at the cities listed in verse 4. Gaza, then Ashkelon, then Ashdod. All of these were coastal cities from south to north. And Ekron, inland about 11 miles from Ashdod, in a direct line toward Jerusalem. That's the route the Egyptian king would have taken to attack Jerusalem. Of course, the Egyptian king fell to the Babylonians shortly thereafter. All of those coastal Philistine cities are to be destroyed, along with the Ethiopians, Moabites, and Ammonites. It seems quite obvious that the Egyptian-Babylonian siege is what's in view here. Then we find the yet future restoration of Israel in Zephaniah chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Woe to her that is filthy and polluted, to the oppressing city. She obeyed not the voice, she received not correction, she trusted not in the Lord, she drew not near to her God. Her princes within her are roaring lions, her judges are evening wolves, they gnaw not the bones till the morrow. Her prophets are light and treacherous persons. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. The just Lord is in the midst thereof. He will not do iniquity. Every morning doth he bring his judgment to light. He faileth not, but the unjust knoweth no shame. I have cut off the nations. Their towers are desolate. I made their streets waste, that none passeth by. Their cities are destroyed, so that there is no man that there is none inhabitant. I said, Surely thou wilt fear me. Thou wilt receive instruction, so that their dwelling should not be cut off. Howsoever I punished them, but they rose early and corrupted all their doings. Therefore waited ye upon me, saith the Lord, until the day that I rise up to the prey, for my determination is to gather the nations that I may assemble the kingdoms to pour upon them mine indignation, even all my fierce anger, for all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. For then will I turn to the people a pure language, that they may all call upon the name of the Lord, to serve him with one consent. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my suppliants, even the daughter of my dispersed, shall bring mine offering. In that day shalt thou not be ashamed for all thy doings. 
wherein thou hast transgressed against me. For then I will take away out of the midst of thee them that rejoice in thy pride, and thou shalt no more be haughty because of my holy mountain. I will also leave in the midst of thee an afflicted and poor people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall not do iniquity nor speak lies, neither shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth. For they shall feed and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all the heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord hath taken away thy judgments. He hath cast out thine enemy, the king of Israel. Even the Lord is in the midst of thee. Thou shalt not see evil any more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear thou not, and to Zion let not thine hands be slack. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save, he will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love, he will joy over thee with singing. I will gather them that are sorrowful for the solemn assembly, or of thee, to whom the reproach of it was a burden. Behold, at that time I will undo all that afflict thee, and I will save her that halteth, and gather her that was driven out. And I will get them praise and fame in every land where they have been put to shame. At that time I will bring you again, even in the time that I gather you. For I will make you a name and a praise among all people of the earth, when I turn back your captivity before your eyes, saith the Lord. Now, here's a chapter prophesying Israel's restoration. You'll notice from the wording of this chapter that we're not talking a mere return to their land, which began in 535 B.C., that was under the Persians, recorded in Ezra chapter 1. We're talking about the world being ruled from Israel and specifically being ruled from Jerusalem. Notice verse 9, it says, For then will I turn to the people a pure language, that they may all call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one consent. It's impossible to make a valid case that this is not a worldwide worship of the Lord. Then there are the references to a pure remnant and complete destruction of the enemy. That can only be millennium talk. There can be little question that this passage is messianic and millennial. Verse 15 seems to seal this conclusion when it says, The Lord hath taken away thy judgments, he hath cast out thine enemy. The king of Israel, even the Lord, is in the midst of thee. Thou shalt not see evil any more. There's no time in history that fulfills this scenario. And verse 20 is the capper. It says, At that time will I bring you again, even in the time that I gather you, for I will make you a name and praise among all people of the earth when I turn back your captivity before your eyes, saith the Lord. Yep, definitely messianic in the yet future millennium. So let's summarize. The fall recorded in chapters 1 and 2, that's obviously speaking of Jerusalem and the region roundabout that fall to the Babylonians took place in the 6th century B.C. But the restoration of chapter 3 obviously looks to the yet future millennium under the Messiah. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. 
The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walker.